Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. We've got an update on the Chicago teachers' strike. There's a lot of work that we could have done sooner, but um, we didn't start to do really until after the strike. That's coming your way in just a bit. But first, hospitals across the Chicago area are cutting back on labor and delivery services. Starting November 1st, Holy Cross Hospital on the city's southwest side will be temporarily suspending their OBGYN services, including labor and delivery of newborns, as part of the hospital's efforts to consolidate and restructure. Lisa Shanker covers the business of health care for the Chicago Tribune. And she says the situation at Holy Cross is about one thing, money. They say they've been losing about $2 million a month. They're struggling with a lot of the same challenges that a lot of hospitals are. Um, Namely, they don't get reimbursed uh, as much as they would like from government insurance programs like Medicare and Medicaid. And they're also dealing with a shift in the way healthcare is delivered in that there aren't as many people staying overnight in the hospitals anymore. There's a lot more procedures that can be done on an outpatient basis, and that's a shift that all hospitals are dealing with. And we should say here that Chicago-area hospitals have also cut their OBGYN services. Which hospitals are we talking about? Sure. There have been at least three others that have cut their OB services in the last year, two years or so. Um, Amita Health St. Francis Hospital, Evanston, is closing uh, their OB. Jackson Park Hospital, Amita Health Adventist Medical Center, LaGrange, these are all hospitals that have made similar moves. And are their explanations for why similar to Holy Cross's? There's a few other factors that are specific just to OB's closing as well. Number one, birth rates are falling in Illinois. There are just not as many babies being born. Number two, they are facing competition from the some of these larger, more comprehensive birth centers like Prentice at Northwestern. And in Evanston, North Shore Evanston Hospital, has a lot of deliveries. And so that's something that the Amida Hospital, St. Francis in Evanston, was up against. And then uh, they are... Also dealing with this same thing I mentioned before about uh, hospitals uh, seeing more patients moving away from inpatient procedures to outpatient procedures. So when a hospital closes these obstetric units, where do those services go? Do they fall into other departments or do patients have to find another resource for their care? Generally, these patients have to go to other hospitals that offer OB services. And that, I think, is what caused a lot of the concern in these communities is that patients are worried about having travel a little farther to get to hospitals that offer this care. And, I mean, how are those other hospitals prepared for handling this influx of patients? Another major reason that these hospitals say they're closing their OB units is because the demand just isn't there. They're saying that they're seeing just a fraction of their OB beds being used on a daily basis. So they feel like there's not this huge influx of people that are going to be rushing to other area hospitals. 
there's also some concern from people in some of these communities, particularly around Jackson Park and the Amita Hospital in Evanston that, and Holy Cross, that this is going to disproportionately affect uh, minority patients because those areas are uh, have more minority people living in them. Well, in the case of Holy Cross, the nearest hospital that provides OBGYN services is seven miles away at Mount Sinai Hospital in Douglas Park. It was about a 25, 30-minute drive. So when it comes to accessing care for women of color, for lower-income people, what kind of impact does this have? I think that's the big question. The hospitals that close their OB units say they don't think it will have a huge impact on those communities, that there just weren't a ton of women seeking those services from them, and that there are other hospitals within a few miles, so it shouldn't. they feel like it shouldn't be an issue. But um, there are others who disagree with that. Um, there was a big community outcry uh, over the uh, Evanston Hospital closing its OB services, and some of the people who wanted, who were against that move, said, "What if women show up uh, at this hospital who need to have a baby delivered and have a complex condition, and there isn't time to transport them uh, to North Shore Evanston for help? What happens to these women?" So they're concerned about those types of situations. And I want to bring another voice into this conversation. With us on the line is Dr. Nicole Williams, an OBGYN and founder of the Gynecology Institute of Chicago. Dr. Williams, welcome to Reset. Thanks, Jen. Good to be on again. So Holy Cross is the second Southside hospital in recent months to seek to close their obstetrics unit. The other one being, as we mentioned before, Jackson Park Hospital. Mm-hmm. Talk about the state of women's health and maternal health on the South Side. Well, the state of maternal health on the South Side of Chicago is certainly not on par with other more affluent and better served places in the city of Chicago. So we know we live in a segregated city, but when it comes to women's health, of course, these disparities are so much more stark because you're affecting the lives of the next generation and the lives of this generation who's taking care of these moms. So when you have to close a hospital on those parts of town, keep in mind, a lot of these women may not have transportation to go just the seven miles because, oh, it might be an inconvenience for people who live or who have the means to travel like that. But if you do not, then you could end up with a much more acute situation. When we talk about maternal health in the Chicago area, we we have to talk about outcomes. Black women in Illinois are six times more likely to die from pregnancy-related conditions than white women. How do these closures fit into that overall dynamic? The only data that we have right now is the data that came from the rural closures, because urban closures have been a more recent phenomenon past like maybe 17, 18. We've had rural closures in 2015, 16, starting all the way back to 2013. So right now, all we can do is just follow the data. Remind us some of the factors um, behind why black women are so much more likely to die during childbirth. Yeah, unfortunately, it is a concept that that is called weathering, meaning just by being an African-American woman and all of the stressors that come with just living in the United States can actually increase your overall stress hormones in the body, which, of course, pregnancy is a major stressor and which can result in conditions that don't have anything to do with socioeconomic status, first of all, but that can result in hemorrhage, heart disease, high blood pressure, and, of course, that unfortunate increased risk in death. 
Now, these hospitals are saying, look, we're just not seeing enough labor delivery patients every day to make the department feasible. Holy Cross says they average about one delivery per day. What are some solutions here? One of the bigger solutions that I see, um, you've actually seen this in the National Health Service in England, is the use of midwives. Because midwives are highly trained nurses who know how to handle most OB cases. And they actually will cost less. They collaborate with an OB who may or may not have to be on site. And then you can still provide the care. It doesn't matter whether it's one patient or 100 patients who are coming in. If there's a new mom, she should be able to come to any hospital in the great city of Chicago and get care. What are some of the barriers women, especially women of color, face when it comes to accessing not just OBGYNs, but midwives? Mm -hmm. We've talked about doulas on the show before. Yeah. If you're talking about, you know, lower or middle income women who happen to need Medicaid for their care, well, Medicaid doesn't reimburse for doula care. And we actually know that the use of doulas, the use of these mid-levels can actually help to decrease morbidity and mortality. And um, since it's not reimbursed, then those women don't have access. And so that's something that needs to we need to work on on a more systemic level. That's Dr. Nicole Williams. She's an OBGYN and founder of the Gynecology Institute of Chicago. Dr. Williams, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you so much, Jen. Have a great one. Lisa Schenker with the Chicago Tribune is also in studio with me. And Lisa, I'm wondering about what hospitals cutting back on services could mean in the long term. Members of the union, SEIU Healthcare Illinois, slammed Holy Cross Hospital for reducing services, saying that it's a first step in eventually just closing the hospital altogether. You know, is there cause for concern here, not, not just at Holy Cross, but other hospitals that have seen services and department cutbacks as well? Yes, I would say that this is something a lot of hospitals are dealing with right now, um, where they're cutting back services. They just see fewer patients needing to stay there overnight because Medicine has advanced. Things that used to require an overnight stay now can be done on an outpatient basis. And they're getting these low reimbursements from Medicare and Medicaid. So this is something a lot of hospitals are struggling with. I mean, we have saw Westlake Hospital uh, close. We are seeing Metro South closing. This is something that, you know, hospitals, as they empty out, if they can't transform in a way that's going to allow them to stay financially afloat, then they go out of business. I asked the leader of the system behind Holy Cross that question, do people need to worry about Holy Cross going out of business? And she said, uh, you know what, we are a nonprofit organization that makes us different than the owners of Westlake and different than the owners of Metro South. We have a different mission. Our mission is to serve the community. So you know, it doesn't sound like that's on the horizon for them imminently, but I can see um, why some are concerned about hospitals going so far down the path of cutting services that they eventually close. What other policy shifts do you think would need to happen potentially for, you know, hospitals, especially nonprofit hospitals, to be better supported and find ways to leave these sorts of departments open? I think that they would say that they need better reimbursements for Medicare and Medicaid, especially these hospitals that consider themselves safety net hospitals in that they serve large numbers of poorer patients. Um, And it's really a killer for them when they're serving large numbers of poorer patients and they're not getting the amount they're getting reimbursed from uh, the state and federal governments for their care doesn't cover the actual costs of care. 
That's Chicago Tribune healthcare reporter Lisa Shanker. Lisa, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you. Some other stories you should know about today. Hearings continue at City Hall today around Mayor Lori Lightfoot's 2020 spending plan. A Chicago police officer is being tried on first-degree murder charges. Prosecutors say Lowell Hauser was off-duty when he fatally shot his neighbor, Jose Neves, during an argument. And public school classes are not in session for the 10th straight school day. WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp explains why nothing happened after the two sides seemed close to an agreement yesterday. Well, in the afternoon, Jesse Sharkey, who's the president of the union, and Vice President Stacey Davis-Gates had a meeting with Lori Lightfoot and um, Janice Jackson, who's the head of the school district, and they talked. And then afterwards, Lightfoot came out and said, you know, we've basically given them everything that they've wanted, which actually she says all the time. She's said many times before, but she did up the offer. She sweetened the deal. The union, though, felt as though they needed to go back to their members. First of all, they needed to work out some of the details of what she offered. They had a House Delegates meeting last night where they talked to their members. And what they decided was, yes, there's a lot of good things on the, the table, we have a lot of details to, to hammer out from the, what the mayor had just told us. And today, delegates are going to picket lines and talking with their colleagues about, hey, does this look like something that you guys would accept? Are there things that you can't accept on here? And where are we? And we don't have any news yet, but the union um, could announce a tentative agreement sometime this afternoon, call another House of Delegates sometime this evening, and then school could be on. On for tomorrow. Well, as you mentioned, union leaders met with uh, Chicago Public Schools CEO Janice Jackson and Mayor Lightfoot for about three and a half hours. Oh, it was three and a half hours yesterday. Long. Yeah, let's take a listen. They told us about five outstanding issues, and we moved our position even further to where CTU said it was most critical to getting this deal done. And what we heard is it's still not good enough. Sarah, the mayor went on to say the union is insisting she, quote, support their political agenda. What is she referring to? So there's two items that that the union has brought up, and one of them is that she support an elected school board bill, and the other one is that she support removing the provisions in the state law that she support, like a, a bill removing these provisions that prohibits the union from striking over class size and staffing, which ironically they're doing right now. And so even though there's a state law to not do it, you know, it didn't prevent them from from going on strike because you can always say, well, I'm going on strike for something else. But if you meet these agreements, then I'll I'll come in for these. So these are the two things that they want her to do. And she's just like, I'm not going to do it. But there is sort of an irony in this in that, for one, Lightfoot has said that she supports an elected school board bill. And she made it seem like it was the particular bill that she wasn't going to support. But then last night, Stacey Davis-Gates um, from the union said, no, we just said support any elected school board bill and we'll actually work with you on developing one. So it's not really clear why Lightfoot wouldn't support the elected school board bill. And also, it's not really exactly clear why she wouldn't support the removal of this section that has to do with not being able to strike because she said during this 
during this strike that she supports the right of people to strike. Mm. So I don't understand exactly. She hasn't really answered that question as to why she wouldn't just support it. It doesn't seem like these are huge leaps from where her positions are. So teachers are now reviewing a summary of contract offers from the school district. What are the next steps? They'll maybe say that there's a tentative agreement this afternoon. As I said, like right now there's bargaining going on and there's details that are being worked out. There are a few items that they want something on that they still have not gotten on, one of them being preparation time for teachers. Um, They want an extra 30 minutes. The school district has really dug in their heels and been like, no, that's going to take instructional time away from students. We're not going to give you that. I think they might be looking for some sort of compromise on that today. But perhaps this afternoon, and I'm staying tuned, they're going to announce a tentative agreement. And then if they do that, they'll call a House of Delegates meeting. And the House of Delegates are the ones that would call off a strike. That's WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp. And keep your dial, your device, or your smart speaker on 91.5 for the latest on the strike. That's it for today's Reset. Follow us on Twitter at WBEZ Reset. And I'm at Jay White Pop Radio. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. And let's talk again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.